Uh, it costs nothing to really listen to your people. It costs nothing to ask them the questions of how do they feel your organization should be run. Um, it costs nothing to take the time to listen to what they are truly passionate about. Our company is not necessarily a career or where everybody is going to be for life, but they are with us for a while. Um, and the time that they give us, the days, the minutes that they give us are gifts. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's fantastic, Josh. How are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. Matt, good. have you ever been on an airboat? As a matter of fact, I have a couple of times. How about you? I have, as a matter of fact, a couple of times. Nice. How would you describe the feeling of being on an airboat ride? Um, at, at times thrilling, right? And maybe that's depending on your driver. Um, True. But um, free, I would describe it as, as feeling free, you know, because the seats for people in the attractions world, you might know that the Millennium Force seats are very low profile, right? And a lot of the seats on, a, on an airboat are very low profile. And you are going 25, 30, 35 miles an hour, and there's literally nothing around you. You know, so it's it's kind of a free feeling, but that's also kind of why it's exhilarating and thrilling. Um, you might take a turn and think you're going to fall off, but you never do. I shouldn't say you never do, but I never have. Um, but it's um, it's you know, you, you get the mist of the water, you get the air, you know, coming at you, the wind, uh, you got the sun on your face. I don't know. Am I describing this right? Because this is, but it's also very loud. It's very loud. <laughs> Well, first of all, this would not be the Attraction Pros podcast if we could draw a direct line between Millennium Force and an airboat ride. <laughs> so that right there is awesome. You're right, low profile seats. I, and then not only are they loud and thrilling, but at the same time, they can be very calming, very relaxing. Because you are when you're on an airboat ride, you're usually in the middle of nowhere, or yeah. at least you're, you're going out to the middle of nowhere. And it's just, this is you the other people on the boat and then just <laughs> nature around you. And, and even, you know, even the, the sight of gators is calming and not alarming by any means. And just knowing there's all that wildlife out there just doing its thing and you're just right there. So it's, it, it's disconnecting from daily life. And, it, and it's the, the escapism that I believe our, our industry strives to deliver day in, day out. So Maybe this isn't about escapism so much, this thought, but I also, when you think about being on an airboat, I think about, and I'm not a physics guy, I'm not a science guy, but I think about how it works because you're literally skimming across the top of the, the, the water, right? Now, when you think of a regular boat, a lot of the boat or some of the boats actually down in the water, you know, you're resting there and blah, blah, blah. 
But in an airboat, you're literally resting on top. And I don't know about you, but in some of the airboats I've been on, they actually go up on land. And I don't know if there's if all airboats do that or, you know, because there's something that was special on the bottom of this one in particular. But we literally went up on land because there's no propeller in the water. There's a big fan propeller behind you that's literally just pushing air. So if you've got the right surface tension on the water, you can go up on land. So it was it's pretty cool. What happens when you're up on land? It, you keep going. You just keep going? <laughs> It, yeah. So the, there's like no friction on the, there's no wheels on the, there's no wheels. like a duck but boat. You know? You're, yeah. you're literally, you're literally, you know, like a sled on snow. Right. That's okay. kind of what it's like. But what's propelling you is this big, you know, engine in the back with the, and it's just the air that's pushing you. And as long as there isn't something big that's in the way that's going to stop the boat, you know, if you're just going over like grass, it'll go right over it. Now, not so all of I, I, I should should preface, I don't know if all airboats do that, but some of them that I've been on do. <laughs> Disclaimer, do not operate an airboat <laughs> without seeking professional exactly. Matt Heller advice, beyond Matt Heller advice. Please, but yes. th that has crossed my mind, actually, because there have been times when I've been on an airboat and thought, hmm, that looks like land, but maybe it's just marshy grass. Mm -hmm over it so but maybe maybe that is land or it's a hybrid everglades actually means river of grass and speaking of the everglades wow. and speaking of airboats that's right you didn't know you were going to learn something from me today. <laughs> <laughs> our guest today is chrissy schwartzman she is the chief executive officer of sawgrass recreation park in south florida just outside of fort lauderdale uh, where they operate amongst other things, airboat tours uh, for visitors and tourists and uh, people who are looking to disconnect and just be one with nature. And, you know, it's not just the airboats they have there. I think that's probably the, the e-ticket attraction, if you will, for, for, their, for their facility. But they also have animal exhibits and shows. And, you know, there's all sorts of nature that you can experience while you're there. Uh, there's a gift shop. So there's a lot more than just the airboats. Uh, but that is probably, uh, like we've said, kind of the big draw. But what I think is so great about talking to Christy, and you and I have known her for many years through the Florida Attractions Association, is that she has such a command of her operation. She has such a command of, you know, everything that's happening there at Sawgrass. Um, but what I love hearing her talk about is her employees, because mm -hmm. she takes such great care of her employees. And something she said toward the end that, you know, it didn't really click with me until, you know, a couple of seconds after she said it, but, you know, she went to school and has a degree in criminology and she was going to be a federal marshal. And when she talks about what the marshals do in terms of taking care of people who can't take care of themselves, that same mentality she's using as the CEO to take care of her team members. So I think that's something that's been ingrained in her. That's something that's just who, who she is as a person um, that allows her to be so successful at that. Mm, 100%. Yeah. And, and we cover, you know, a, a few amazing topics in this interview. And she's been on Attraction Pros Live a couple of times. She was just yep. most recently in, in episode 250. So if you haven't listened to that yet, she, she, talks about her people there. And uh, of course she talks about her, her people here too. And uh, you know, we, we also talk about 
opportunities in disguise. They talk about when uh, her family first bought the property it was right before Hurricane Wilma in 2005. And they they bought it and then basically had to start over. And then, of course, uh, most recently with COVID, with the pandemic, we get to hear all about how they completely shifted their business model to now uh, serve a different demographic of guests. And they're able to, uh, they're able to make uh, more revenue with less attendance, which is uh, just unbelievable the way the, the um, that they've been able to do that uh, while all be uh, while remaining calm, right, and and really uh, not overreacting, not having a knee jerk reaction. So when we talk about being calm on an airboat ride, uh, that really transcends into leadership as well, and particularly Chrissy's philosophy. So, without further ado, should we fire up the airboat and start this interview? Let's do it. Hey, Chrissy, welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast. We are so excited to have you on today. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Doing fantastic. Uh, so, Chrissy, uh, to get this started here, uh, can you give us just a, a quick intro? Tell us about yourself as well as Sawgrass Recreation Park. Yeah, of course I can. So I am the Chief Executive Officer at Sawgrass Recreation Park. We are located in the heart of South Florida and the Florida Everglades, pretty close to Fort Lauderdale. We operate um, airboat eco adventure tours. We have exhibits where we have rescued alligators and snakes and turtles and all manner of reptile. And then um, we have 17 acres in total. We also have John boats for fishing, camping, picnicking, a little bit of everything. Um, in our little corner down in the Everglades, it's a lot of fun, keeps us very busy and no two days are alike. And, and Chrissy, this isn't something you just fell into. This is like, <laughs> this is this is kind of a family business, isn't it? Yes, it is. I would say it's something I was suckered into. It's more <laughs> like it. Um, <laughs> yes, we um, previously, my dad worked in the airline industry before 9-11. Um, and he was looking for um, new pursuits. The bank that he worked for had left that industry. And they were searching for a new business venture. And uh, they were at a family party one night with some good friends that were looking to sell their airboat company and move on with their lives and retire. And he said, well, that sounds like fun. I think we could do that. Um, and so we, uh, we both started working there over the summer. I was still in college and I kind of walked in the very first day and I looked around and I looked at him and I said, what? <laughs> I said, are you sure? Like, are you sure? Like, you're really sure you want to do this? And he's like, yeah, I think it could be a great adventure. I just think this could be so much fun. And I said, okay, all right, let's, let's do it. You know, sounds great. Let's jump in. Um, and just about a month or two later, the park was wiped out by Hurricane Wilma. And then uh, we bought it December just after that. Um, so it actually was in need of a massive rebuilding, which was, we didn't realize at the time, but a perfect opportunity to pivot um, and kind of go in a very different direction and really build it in our vision. Um, and it ended up being a gift. So I came on board and then mom retired from teaching and she jumped in the, the mix. And then um, my husband was working there part-time between his sound engineering gigs. And then we suckered him in and he ended up working with the Gators downstairs for about 10 years. And then my brother was the holdout. My brother was the last one to get in the clan. And I think we just gave him enough guilt trip that he uh, he finally jumped on board and also left his sound engineering um, jobs and pursuits and came and joined the family business. So we were very lucky that we eventually got everybody over there. And there is currently 49 staff. And I think there is uh, 10 of us who are related at the moment. So it's a pretty good group. Wow. We're lucky to have it. 
Wow, that that's a great story. I don't think I knew that uh, that story of of purchasing the property way way back when. And then when you say uh, Hurricane Wilma, if my my memory is correct, I believe that was two thousand five. I was living in Fort Myers at the time. I came from the Gulf Coast. I actually evacuated over to the East Coast, yeah. which was also came from the West, obviously. and they didn't expect it to be um, quite so powerful. They estimated it at a Category One, um, but when it happened to come over the park, it spawned a tornado. And the tornado just caused significant damage in our little corner, um, very unfortunately. Um, but it was, uh, you know, it's, it is it is what it is. You know, we've, we've learned to look back at those moments and realize that those moments are just opportunities in disguise, as we like to call them. So um, it ended up being a, a good pivot point for our, our company in our future. You know, when you talk about kind of whether it's Hurricane Wilma turning into a, a tornado back in 2005, or, you know, we've heard you talk about what, what you've been able to do during the pandemic, um, that phrase you just said that, you know, these opportunities in disguise, can mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about kind of your mindset of whether it's, uh, you know, of, of kind of looking through challenges towards those opportunities and, and really finding what those opportunities are? Because in, in many cases, it might seem a little a little counterintuitive that most people might say, well, this is, you know, this is a hurricane, there's nothing good about it. This is a, a pandemic, there, you know, there can't be anything good about it. Uh, yet, you've completely proven that the, you know, the other way around. Uh, so I'd love to hear just kind of your thought process and your mindset there. Yeah, sure. Um, COVID was, um, was hands down our greatest challenge of our, our company's history since we've been there in about 17 years. Um, COVID was a chance for quiet and for calm and for reflection and a, and a usual atmosphere where we never get any. Um, you know, we're always busy doing the thing. We're always busy doing the, the job and day in and day out. And we're there focused on the operations. And um, I don't think that we had an opportunity before that moment to really step back and look at the company itself and ask, is this truly still the vision that we started with? And is this still the direction we wanna go in? Um, we were so focused on building it from the ground up in the beginning, um, acquiring new contracts, taking good care of our staff, rescuing animals, and then all the day-to-day -day things that kind of come up that we weren't expecting, that we really never stopped to ask, um, is it right? Is this, is this a good feeling for us? Is this working for us? And just before we closed down for the pandemic, we started to have a, sense that it was almost like a runaway train and it was going in a direction that we were starting to feel a little uncomfortable with. Um, and it felt a little overwhelming. It felt a little stressful for the staff. Um, being busy and our sold out days um, were not reassuring. They were, they were just exhausting. Um, and we started to get really concerned about that mental feeling. You know, we don't want to create a, a PTSD in the workplace because this, this energy is too much. And because our sold out was, we were looking at 1200 person days, 1300 person days. Our, our park is not a very large space. Um, it was shoulder to shoulder. Um, and, you know, we've been at attractions where we've been in those circumstances. Um, and from a consumer standpoint, it's also not enjoyable. Um, so if the business isn't loving it and we think our customers aren't loving it, it's a great time for us to, to pivot what we're doing. So our focus is so much more now on individual families and travelers. We've really stepped away from a volume model. Um, it's given us a better opportunity to reevaluate what we need for infrastructure um, and also a, a maximum number. There is a, there is a cap. We will not go past that. We have sold out days. We've been sold out. I think maybe 30% of July was sold out. Um, and we probably could have handled another three, four, 500 people in those days, but not without the greatest sacrifice of our employees 
energy and their their strength and their mental status. Um, so it's not it's not worth it. Um, we've we've kind of long since decided that we want to keep our ship a little smaller um, and protect our crew and keep them from essentially ever having to feel like it felt before. Um, and some of our seniors, you know, we're like the guards there. You know, we tell them you'll never have to know what that was like, and you're never going to come in and have to know a day at work where all of our wait times are over an hour and everyone is. This is hot and stressed and upset. And we're going to make sure that you never have to feel that again because we're going to completely change this. Um, and it's worked beautifully. Honestly, um, it's it's been our most profitable year. Um, we're breaking records left and right. We've rebounded beautifully from COVID. Um, mental health is the forefront of our concerns for our staff. We have a lot of conversations about our culture our dynamic, um, protecting our staff. I literally feel like I have boxing gloves on someday, just keeping everybody back from my people. Um, and I feel like it's a bit of a renaissance at our park right now. And I feel like it's a new, a new era, um, both from a physical standpoint, as well as an operational standpoint, and especially from how we are approaching things um, mentally. I love to hear that, how well you're taking care of your team. I know you've always been very uh, team focused and, and employee focused, but to hear how you're actually making decisions in the business to take care of the team that, to Josh's point, could be very counterintuitive to people who say, get as many people in the gate as possible. Um, and so that I'm sure took a lot of sort of intestinal fortitude to say, no, we're going to not book those three to 400 people extra because we know in the long run, it's really going to help our staff. So what were those conversations like with maybe some of the people that have been there for a while or that had that attitude? Yeah, it was a little, I think there was a bit of a learning curve for everyone involved. We had a staff meeting um, probably back in February when we, they started hearing the term sold out, I think for the first time um, since COVID. And I think um, some of our staff had some apprehension, but we explained to them, um, you know, it isn't, it isn't necessary. We are, we are meeting our financial goals. We're not, it's not that we're just saying no to business. So we don't keep you guys busy and don't keep the money coming in the door. Um, we're going to be, you know, pivoting for packages and VIP product and different things on the shelf. Um, and so we shared some graphs with them in terms of attendance versus revenues. And we were like, so we want this one to go down and we want this one to go up, you know? So we were kind of explaining it to them. Um, and honestly, this year is just the perfect example of seeing that that negative on the attendance side, but the positive over on the revenue side and explaining to them that it is not having the impact that it would seem on the surface. And by saying no to those hundred people, we didn't actually hurt ourselves. We just saved up their, their energy and, and kept them safe and protected them. Uh, we practice servant leadership. So a lot of what we do at our organization is reaching out to our staff and how can I support you? How can I lift you up? What do you need from me in this moment um, to succeed? And I think what some of our staff needed the most was, was five minutes, just five minutes. Just I, they need their proper break. They need a chance to use the restroom. They need a water. Um, and they need to know that the person who's making all of those decisions and calling the shots in our organization is so much more focused on their need for water than another tour going out on the water. Um, and it, the next, you know, the next day of tours will not happen if that person is too physically exhausted and nothing happens at our organization without every single person doing exactly all of their responsibilities and they do it beautifully. So it's, it's super important for us to make sure that we're protecting that model. So it did take a little bit of, um, I would say frank conversations with the team to explain why this new model and we're, we're confident that it's gonna work and it's gonna be okay. I will say going into the September 
slump um, as the CEO, I'm, I'm harboring some great concerns. And also in charge of marketing, I have a, a lot of, I would say, a lot of pressure on me to perform and make sure that all of those salaries that we've committed to that that fixed money every week that I've promised them so they can take care of their families, there's a great weight that I can still meet those demands. Um, so the, the stress is on me at this time of year. I'm hoping they enjoy the time and relax and catch it, you know, catch their breath. Um, but I will say that from a management perspective, this becomes our greatest challenge is these times when there is not a, an onslaught of walk-ins coming in the door and maintaining those perfect numbers. So we will see how we fare through the fall. Um, I'm optimistic, um, but it will probably be a, a great challenge for trying this model out for the first time and experiencing one of our, our great lower and quieter times. So we shall see how that how that succeeds and if I can still stand by my, my plans. <laughs> so I'm actually curious if, if we'd be able to go deeper into kind of the, the adjusted business model and the products and packages, if, if we can get granular a, a little bit of, uh, of being able to kind of justify attendance going down with revenue going up um, in, and being able to better serve your guests and your staff. Yeah, sure. Um, it actually started kind of after COVID. Our numbers were so low. They were so low. We had days with like 15 customers. Um, and so every one of those 15 customers was just so essential. We were so grateful to have them. And we were just, you know, bowing at their feet, like, welcome, hello. Um, but it, upselling those customers and giving them the opportunity for a private tour or to upgrade to a package product where it would include a shirt or a water. Um, those were very little opportunities at the time, but for a dollar of revenue or for 20 additional dollars or a sale in our food truck for our our catering team that didn't have any orders coming in. Um, it was essential. And so we actually built our reopening after COVID on all of the specialty products we had on our shelves, hoping that we would convert more Sunrise private tours. We created um, three new packages that we put out that include the t-shirts and a beverage and our mining down in the exhibits. Uh, we launched a VIP exhibit guided tour where they can come in before hours and take a tour with our exhibit guides. That came out of a need for me to try to make sure that our exhibit team was being able to take home money that they needed to pay bills. So we created a VIP product just for them to be able to cater to the customers. And so what we did is just placed all of those things on the shelves and just saw what worked and what didn't work. Um, and as we started to move into a busier time, all of those things started to sell with great regularity. Um, and so the general tour is still our most popular, but now we have all of these other beautiful things that are mixed in with a a private tour where you can go on the water now up to 120 minutes used to be 60 minutes. Now we've offered twice as long on the water. We have sunrise tours. So some of our captains are morning, morning birds. They love to get up and take that early tour. So that was another little opportunity. And each one of those things that gets picked up five, 10, 20 times a month and added to the cart is making a really great deal on our overall bottom line. And so instead of the volume, which is, you know, maybe you know, 40% net rates are, you know, really deep discounted on our main cost per person. We've changed that into one private tour equals what a bus of 30 people used to equal. Well, I would much rather host a family of just four and putting them on a, on a tour with one of my naturalists who's going to take amazing care of them for an hour, answer all their questions. They're going to get to see some wildlife, go further out into the glades as opposed to a bus of 30 people that are hurried through my organization. They're rushed. Um, not that I don't want them to come and enjoy the experience, but I don't know if their version of the experience is as quality as the other opportunity. Um, so I think we had to start kind of weighing when one bus becomes 17 buses, um, we start to sacrifice that quality. 
And so I'd much rather do three private tours today than three buses. Um, And, you know, bus business is always going to be a cornerstone of what we do, um, but it is significantly less of one now. um, Also, because I think some of the mentality of the the bus companies that are in our area and the way they treat their staff, the mentality about the customers, um, it no longer aligns with where we stand morally as a company. Um, So we have kind of made a intentional choice to stop doing business with certain companies like that, that we feel kind of harbor that old Florida mentality, so to speak, um, Mm -hmm. where they would, you know, line up on the beaches and just take all the, the, you know, their money from the customers and I can get five bucks. I'll get five more bucks from them for this. And that's no longer how we want our customers at the end of the line to be treated. So it's changing how we do business quite a bit. Yeah. And, and really holistic too, like to think about not just how they're being treated when they are with you, but also how they're being treated when they're transported to you, right. Yeah. Is a, is a whole different piece of the puzzle. Um, you said something earlier that kind of caught my attention. You mentioned that just before COVID the, the, the business model sort of seemed like a runaway train. And I'm curious if, even without COVID, do you think you would have made these changes? Would you have had, you know, the the wherewithal to kind of sit down and say, we really need to make a change or would it have kind of, you know, steamrolled? Yeah, we had um, about three family meetings just before we were closing um, in between December and February of that year, um, where we had sat down and started to say, you know, um, next season really needs to look different. And we really need to, we need to start limiting the numbers. We need to start saying, no, thank you. We need to start capping what this looks like. And I had had some uh, difficult conversations with the company owners. Uh, I think they maybe got too comfortable and they were overstepping quite a bit um, on their push into our organization and our operations. And so they were being, um, I would say, not necessarily abusive of my staff, but they were being quite disrespectful to our team. Um, and that started to become a pretty serious problem for me. And it was, um, you know, maybe six months, eight months into me being on the operation side of things and seeing how that was going in that dynamic. And I was um, quite disappointed to see that treatment of our staff and that needed a, a very serious change. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it would have pivoted um, as quick and as fast as it did without COVID. Um, but I definitely think that that was the, the new direction we were going to go in, but it would have taken us a lot longer to achieve the same ends and the same means. Um, we would have made, I think, much more slight adjustments out of fear for going too sharply. Um, and COVID just kind of gave us that choice where a volume model was not an option because of distancing and things like that. So it almost forced it upon us. And then when we started to embrace that, we started to see the the positives and the opportunities. And I'm a born optimist, so we got to see the sunlight somewhere, right? Um, and I think that's what we did. And I think that COVID made it all happen much more drastically. Um, but I'm I'm very grateful for it. It was probably the scariest time in our company history. I think at one point our payroll was eighteen thousand dollars a week, and we had twenty six thousand in the bank account. So it was quite terrifying from a, a an owner perspective um, because we take the care of our people so seriously, and me being able to continue to give them those paychecks was it was all I thought about all day, all night, and how we could achieve those means, and while taking care of. Um, small vendors in the area and going for more local and trying to buy local and helping everyone else who was suffering like we were. Um, but, you know, it, we, we one thing at a time. But yeah, so you're, to your point, Matt, we would have gotten there 
eventually, but not nearly as quickly as we did um, because of COVID. So Chrissy, as you're talking about these changes here, you're talking a lot about, you know, improving the guest experience of I'd rather serve that that family of four versus the, you know, the bus of 30. Uh, and at the same time, you're also talking about doing it in the interest of servant leadership and talking about prioritizing the mental health and, and uh, minimizing exhaustion from your employees. Um, and as you know, one of the things that Matt and I have been talking about a lot lately is about the intersection between guest and employee experience. Um, as you know, you were part of episode 250, so you shared uh, several thoughts there. Uh, but I'd, I'd love to hear as far as uh, making these types of decisions while having while having both of those in mind and really being able to balance both the, the guest experience and the employee experience and kind of seeing them as, as equal priorities. Yeah, um, that's a yeah, that's a great point. And I think that's probably what most leadership would struggle with. I think if you ask them is trying to walk that balance between keeping all the customers so very happy and making sure that it's the that the organization can maintain its operational level, but at the same time making sure that your staff are genuinely happy um, in the work that they are doing and that they are given the tools to succeed. Um, something I did to try to work that out and um, figure that out was I was on the front lines a great deal, especially after COVID. And I was listening to all of the individual comments from the customers, um, positive and negative feedback anytime we would get it. But I was also listening very closely to what my staff was saying. And I was trying to listen to what they said in terms of feedback about what if we did it like this and maybe we should change it. And what if we made this kind of an approach differently? And I think that, um, especially we have some members of our organization that have been there as long as I have. Um, My client manager and my bookkeeper in particular, um, Nicole and Summer, have been with us uh, 17 years, almost almost as long as I've been there. So when it comes to the changes that we're making, we seek feedback from our staff in, to, a, to a great level, they have a lot of ideas and they've envisioned things differently in a way that I have not even had time to start considering. So that is something where we are always listening to them. Um, you know, balancing both of those things, you know, it's, it's, it's quite difficult. We want to make sure that we are allowing enough customers in the door to enjoy the experience, to check this item off their bucket list. Um, but we also want to make sure that the equipment and the facility are not being overrun in a way where maintaining them is, is, is significantly more expensive or that we have to have too large of a team in order to be able to accomplish that. So the other downside of having a greater volume is having to have a greater amount of staff to support that volume. And before we closed, I think we were at 55 or 56 staff and every additional staff member adds a very large amount of, of weight to our responsibility and our work and what we need to do to take care of that person. So I think that was something else that we decided we had to stick with is finding a very comfortable volume of people in order to sustain a very manageable number of of customers at the same time to keep both parties happy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Chrissy, I'm wondering if we can back up maybe even just a little bit and talk about kind of sawgrass and the experience there, because I've been on an airboat a number of times. I've been on your airboats. um, And, you know, for anybody living in Florida, specifically South Florida, everybody knows what an airboat is. But can you describe the experience of being on an airboat for somebody who has never even seen one or never been to Florida? Yeah, um, yeah, airboats or fan boats, some people call them hydrofoils, we get all kinds of really fun names from around the world. Um, you know, the, the seats are all 
above the deck. The big fan is behind you. Um, the captain's going to, you know, have a seat in the back where he's going to drive it. Um, it's all above water. It's all surface physics. Um, so when you're sitting on board the boat um, for our tours, it's truly the, the wind in your hair experience. And you glide over the, the sawgrass and the cattails. Um, we're looking for birds, fish, turtles, of course, gators um, when you're out on board the water. Um, the boats go about 25 to 35 miles per hour. Our boats range from like four passengers from more, our more private tours, our biggest boats, like maybe 20, 25 people. Um, so several families on board the boat. Um, our captains, they all have their own spin on things, um, the way that they tell the stories, the way that they approach the, the knowledge of the situation. Um, so some of them have, have real personal things that they'll tap into. They've been driving airboats longer than they've been driving cars, um, but they've all got a, a unique background and experience growing up and, and living in the Everglades. Um, so we like to let them kind of take their own little personal touch on how they deliver the information, um, but educating visitors about um, the need to conserve water and protect the Everglades is really important. So we'll take time to stop and talk briefly about that um, and also point out any wildlife we see along the way. Um, we have night tours, so our night tours are especially exciting. You can use a flashlight and look for the gators and their eyes glow red. Um, so you even see the babies at night sometimes, which is my, my personal highlight. I love the boo-boos, love seeing the babies. Um, and so it's, uh, it's a quite a, I would say it's a, a um, maybe a release of an experience. If you can truly allow yourself to disconnect and just be out of your own head for a few minutes and take in the, the nature and the beauty, there is no other Everglades in the world. It is the only place like it in, in the whole world. Um, so to be out in the, the swamp gliding over the grass and, you know, letting the, the wind catch your face, um, it's, it's a nice moment. It's a nice, quiet moment. And I sometimes forget just how amazing it is. And every now and then Tim will drag me out on a, on a boat for a few minutes, or we jump on a boat to go check on a giant fire that's nearby our park. And um, I always try to just give myself at least one minute to really take in uh, just how very cool it is out there in the Everglades and just how special it is. And um, we forget, you know, we're on the, the front lines doing the job every day and we get to jump on that little tour and go out there and we say, wow, this really is so damn cool, isn't it? Like, what, what is happening out here? There's gators and there's fish, you know, fish in the water and birds diving. Um, but it is really worth seeing at least once in a lifetime for anybody. It's it's quite special. You know, the way that you describe that and talking about just kind of the experience where you completely disconnect. I mean, when you get out on an airboat and you're out in the Everglades, there's nothing around you. You know, you're not thinking of the big city. You're not even thinking of the beach, right? I'm, I would assume that there's no Wi-Fi and probably maybe minimal cell service out there. I'm just going to guess, but to say like it <laughs> forces you to, to disconnect and be like 100% uh, yeah. you know, present with, you know, with nature, with yourself I, and all of that. And even tying that into I, kind of all, all the conversation we've been talking about up to this of shifting the business model yeah. of saying, you know, I, I imagine it's probably very important that when people arrive, when they park their car in the parking lot, that they're kind of already, I'd say like going through that uh, over the, the threshold almost of, of kind of like, okay, this is the, the relaxing environment yeah. uh, versus if, if you're waiting in line on those, you know, extremely yeah. hot sold out yeah. days of saying, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to be stressed while I wait to relax. So, you know, it, it all, I would say like really ties together of, of, um, kind of justifying the adjustment of the business models and know like yeah. what we're selling is relaxation and, and de-stress and you know and, and not the that. other way right yeah. and we yeah. really we have COVID to thank for reintroducing people to the outdoors 
you know, people had, I think, not necessarily forgotten about nature and wild and everything, um, but everyone was immediately seeking outdoor open air um, activities where they could distance. And so we were so very lucky that our company fit into that, um, that column beautifully. Um, and people came back out and started renting John boats again to go take their kids fishing, um, just them on a boat out trying to catch fish. Um, what a perfect opportunity to distance. Um, and so I think even long after COVID and now that we're all still in that recovery phase, um, people are still seeking those opportunities. And I think that really got people reconnected with, you know, if you can go visit the Grand Canyon, you can walk for an hour and not see, you know, another person on certain trails. And that's what everybody was seeking during that time. And I think nature kind of got to take the spotlight during COVID and nature got to show off a little bit and say, look at all these great ways you can not sit in your house for 45 minutes and, and come and appreciate me for a while. Um, and we were so grateful for that. I feel like sometimes um, technology is a really hard thing to compete with. Um, the, the instant gratification and the, the pleasure that a Netflix brings is kind of hard. And those are, if we're being honest, our real competition in the attraction world is those things that, that keep people very fulfilled on a daily basis that have nothing to do with, with what we are. Um, and so the theme parks and the zoos and the aquariums and the museums, um, that's all we ask is a couple hours of your time and, and let us show you something a little bit greater and let us introduce you to a fun time and help you make some memories. And then you can go back to Netflix and go back to your, you know, episodes of Stranger Things. Um, but in the meantime, um, I think COVID, what a, what a perfect door it opened to remind people just how valuable that time in, in the sun, in the fresh air was. And I think it put a great focus on why we need to really protect and preserve those resources as well. We're loving all the attention to the conservation of the Florida Everglades and a lot of different natural resources. And we hope that keeps up. We hope that's maybe a habit we don't lose after all of this. Absolutely. And one of the things I, I love about visiting a place like Sawgrass or any place that's got live animals, a live animal collection, or that they're really emphasizing nature and, and conservation is because, yes, you can distance from other people, but the bond you create with nature, I think, is really powerful. And maybe that's just me and you know other people who, who really enjoy nature. Um, but I really, I feel different when I'm in those environments, you know, and, you know, you talked about being on the airboat. And one thing that I wanted to kind of point out that was kind of surreal the first time I ever experienced it was that, you know, on most airboats, you get the big earmuffs, right? Because the motors are loud, right? <laughs> They're super loud. But when you get out there and then they shut the motor down, yeah. it's almost as quiet as quiet can be. And I think that just difference in that experience. You know, Josh, you talk a lot about guest experience and, you know, the wow moments and just, just hearing the engine cut off and just, there's nothing like it. It's just so great? cool. Yeah. So cool. We love that too. It's just that it's just you and the captain and just listening for the, the, and especially at nighttime, you can hear the crickets and all the different insects. And at nighttime, it is very exciting. Um, but you're right. There's nothing, there's nothing that can quite replace that experience. I think our, our world gets quite noisy sometimes. Um, and that, that quiet is pretty awesome. And that's, that's what I look forward to when I get to jump on a boat for a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to imagine that at night when you're out there, and once you cut out the engine and it's silent, it's mm. dark, you probably think there's nothing around you, but at the same time, there's a lot around you too. Maybe well. so <laughs> a little creepy. A lot more right? than you think hanging around. Keeping, <laughs> keeping that in mind. <laughs> and then you, you start to see the red eyes glow, you know. I, um, That's quite a few of them out there. <laughs> I, I've also been on a tour. It was during the day, I, but I, I do remember, I, I think I counted six alligators on it. I was with, I was with my wife 
fiance at the time. We were, it was just shortly after after we got engaged, and we were we were just kind of celebrating in South Florida, and and we were able to. Um, I, I know we were we were on a boat. Um, it would, and it was just us, so it was it was a, a private ride, and I think it was shortly after uh, the Bachelor was filming an episode. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's all us. And I, I was told <laughs> yeah. we were on the same boat and the same captain. Yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. what was that like? <laughs> yeah. So um, all of our productions are actually a lot of fun to work with. They really keep things keep fresh and lively. I had to unfortunately admit to the producer of the show that I did not watch the show. Um, it's never anything I lie about because then the next thing out of their mouth is, "Well, so, so you know when this happens in every episode?" And I'm like, "I do not. I don't no. watch the show. But please tell me all about the show." Um, um, There's a rose, I, I think. I don't know. <laughs> so I think the funnest thing is to see what happens um, in the background of the reality, so to speak, um, is all those behind the scenes moments um, when they're there filming and, and kind of watching them make these moments happen. We've had Tyler Florence. Um, Matt Damon wasn't filming, but he came by with his family. Um, the Bachelor was very, very interesting. All the girls were in like heels and it's just not a good heels environment. Um, I think we had wild things too filmed out there. And um, some of our favorite was we had um Jacques Cousteau's um son Philippe Cousteau had come out and done some filming out there which was very exciting um Jeff Corwin filmed an episode of Ocean's Mysteries and it was really nice hanging out with Jeff for the day um amazing work that he does for for conservation and education um and then we also filmed with um Michael Winslow and Steve Gutenberg and Lavu Lanchula 2 which is uh, more lava, more lanchula, and they're fire-breathing tarantulas. Um, and in that episode, they come and they explode our exhibits. And Tim was an extra, and Tim gets blown up on stage in the middle of a gator show. And uh, we had to teach Steve Gutenberg how to drive an airboat, and he's driving out there in the glades. Um, it's it's pretty wild. And those moments are just so much fun. Um, you know, I grew up in the '80s, and those actors were were really great on TV um, and just kind of hanging out with them behind the scenes was pretty nice to, to meet them. And they're just pretty authentic uh, people, but super fun to get to, to teach them how to do, you know, airboats and things like that. And we've had a few other productions that we don't really talk about so much um, that were a little more risque um, that we could not heavily publicize, um, but needed a, a very private place to do some filming. Um, it had to be one of a uh, Hugh Hefner's companies. So we had to do some work with them as well. And I thought all my airboat captains would volunteer for that production in a heartbeat. Um, but they all jumped ship like crazy because they were worried what their wives would think. So <laughs> I had to force my husband on board the boat to go handle the naked airboat racing. So, you know. <laughs> A guy yeah but uh, we've really worked with so many um we've worked with telemundo and we usually do between 12 and 24 productions a year um and pretty exciting all over the map different from uh photo shoots to to full-on um you know movie production so it's pretty great we're fun that we get to be in a very unique corner of the world and attract a very specific type of, of movie or tv show so it's fun to be a part of those that's so cool now do those happen um, I would imagine it's different at different times, but does that happen when when typical guests are in the park? <laughs> and how does how does that interface? For certain of them, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> it depends on um, the level of the production. A lot of them, we were able to do the 
the filming um, around the customers. And for a lot of the times it kind of went unnoticed by the customers as to what was happening and why we were filming a person or kind of walking through a certain area. Um, and then other times we have to shut the park completely down. Um, so for the filming with Steve Gutenberg, they were, they had maybe 30 extras running through our exhibits getting caught on fire by, you know, AI tarantulas. Um, so we couldn't have regular customers in the mix on that one. So we film uh, before we open, after we close, or they do a, a you know, complete closeout of the facility for a certain number of hours. Um, but, you know, for the one where we were filming, um, they think it was the amazing food truck race with Tyler Florence. He was just walking around, hanging out at the park while we were grabbing the different shots and filming the different scenes and most customers didn't even notice. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, it was good that we, we try to keep it low key and make sure they don't feel overwhelmed or, you know, if they get noticed, we don't want them to be uncomfortable. Um, but it depends on the, the type of production for the naked airboat racing. They were absolutely not near customers. Right, right. For the record. So yeah. uh, we, but that was definitely like five miles out where there were nobody um, possibly in sight. So. <laughs> so you're just saying you do that at night. You just go out there. Yeah, we just <laughs> don't do that when we're open. I was like, we close at five. You can come at 501. <laughs> it started with a very formal interview of, of Tim um, as a reptile specialist in the magazine. Um, and then it grew into a, a production that they were working on out there in the glades. So. Well, you may have answered this already, but we, we'd love to know as far as what the most unique or special thing that has happened on an airboat tour. Um, yeah, we get um, a lot of um, proposals, which is kind of fun. Um, I don't know if that's what the girl envisions when she is proposed to, um, but uh, most of them said yes, <laughs> which was great. Um, unique, you know, we've, I think it would just be things that were wildlife related. You know, we've had the opportunity to see um, even bull male gators kind of fighting with each other out in the wild, which is almost as if that, that lion attacking the prey moment out in Africa, it's very rare to see. Um, we've um, come across, you know, really baby animals that were, were newborns. We've had to rescue um, animals out there. Uh, water management changed the water levels very suddenly one year and there was a bunch of um, black neck stilt nests that all started to float away because they were all built up on the mud flats and they were all getting washed out. And our captain started scooping up all the eggs and saving them. And then we hatched out 19 babies and I raised them by hand until they were re-released into the wild. Um, so we never really know what's going to happen, but um, probably some of the most interesting things we've done are the productions or um, the wildlife moments where we've seen something truly spectacular, osprey diving and grabbing a fish or things like that. You know, it's pretty unusual out there. You never know quite what you're going to come across. So Christy, one of the things I'm curious about, um, because you said you kind of fell into the business or you sucked in, I think was the, was the term that you used, <laughs> <laughs> like, like. If that had never happened, what do you think you'd be doing? I'd be a U.S. Marshal. Um, <laughs> so I, um, I went to college at the University of Florida, and I got a degree in criminology. And um, I minored in business, which has not served me in business um, at all. Those classes were... <laughs> Not very helpful. The criminology has served me a bit, not so much the business. Um, and I very much wanted to um, 
go into federal law enforcement. Um, so I was actually considering a, uh, I was invited to be part of a master's degree program um, with my one professor out in California that specialized in profiling. Um, so I was looking into either going to the master's program and then going to the FBI Academy and specializing in profiling, or I had already completed an internship with the US Marshals in Gainesville at the University of Florida. And I was on a wait list to be drafted to uh, the Academy to go be a U.S. Marshal. Um, and while I was waiting, um, a lot of the military guys were returning from the war in Iraq. Um, so naturally, they had um, a higher ranking on the, the wait list to go to um, Glencoe and go to the Marshals. Um, and so it was, I was perfectly fine to wait my turn. They absolutely should have gone first in line. Um, and I just started helping out dad at the business. Um, and then the call finally came one day. Um, and I I couldn't go. I was in love. I, uh, working for my dad, he was the, the greatest boss I ever had and working out at the park. And it was such an interesting experience. And I really felt like he needed me to grow this cool vision and do this amazing thing that we had dreamed up and, you know, had drawn little vision boards of and sat and had family meetings about. And I truly felt in that moment that if I left, um, his dreams wouldn't be realized. And I didn't feel like I could do that um, as much as he wanted me to go on and do you know, federal law enforcement. And um, he wanted me to fulfill what I had imagined ever since I was obsessed with murder. She wrote on TV when I was like five. Um, I, uh, I didn't feel like it was a good moment to leave. And I started to get very comfortable there. And I saw all the ways that I could help him achieve this. Um, and that was probably one of the best decisions I ever made. I think I would have had a, a lot of fun um, being a federal law enforcement of some level, I would have greatly enjoyed that career. And I feel very strongly about a sense of, of justice and protecting people who can't protect themselves. And um, that's always going to be a part of who I am. But the park just feels like a calling. Now, it feels like maybe where we were supposed to be. And when people come to work for us, um, we take that responsibility so greatly to care for them for the time that they are with us that we feel like we're making a great difference. And for the animals we've saved and the money we've given back and the charities that we help, um, I feel like the park is a force for good. So it's good that we stayed and grew it into what it is because we can take this opportunity to in turn help a lot of other people and, and truly make a difference in the work that we do every day. So mm. Marshalls would have been fun. FBI would have been fun. Um, but I do feel like I am where I belong, at least for the time being. Awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so Chrissy, we still have a few minutes left. We're, we're yep. starting to wind down here, but curious yep. as far as uh, kind of everything we've been talking about over the last, you know, 40 minutes or so, as far as uh, words of wisdom or kind of final thoughts, you know, for our audience, for those who maybe, uh, you know, we're, we're, have been looking to pivot since the beginning of the pandemic, who want to implement more of a servant leadership style, who want to maybe adjust their business model and, and be able to um, be able to, uh, I, I guess, do more with less in, in essence, mm -hmm. be able to uh, serve guests better and, and serve their employees better. What would you say to them? Yeah, um, a couple of points. Um, one is, I think um, I had a, a few years back, I had an, an illness and I recovered from that. And um, I think it, it instilled in me a new sense of calm. Um, I think I and much less reactionary to anything than I was before um, that, that term flow like a river. Um, I've taken that quite to heart. And uh, I don't 
I don't strongly react to almost anything anymore, really. Um, you know, there's nothing to get truly upset about, nothing to get truly stressed over. Um, as a leader, I am very calm within my organization and try to maintain that um, to allow my people to know that this is a safe place um, and they, it, we won't, they won't come into a bombastic um, workplace or anything like that. So um, my, I think my lack of um, quick reaction to anything has truly given me time to see all sides of a situation before we make a step forward and before we move on. Um, I used to watch my dad get all of the, all of the details of a story and all the angles and all the sides. And then I would kind of see him uh, ruminate over that and then pick a direction forward. And I don't know how he always made the right choice. He just did. Um, I haven't yet acquired that skill from him yet. I still make a nice handful of mistakes. Um, but I would say one thing is um, being very, very calm and how you deal with even things that seem like an emergency, even things that seem tragic, like COVID. Um, I've, I've quite learned that the outcome will probably always be okay. And it's all right to just go with it and, and not be so scared and not be so worried um, when things seem even tragic at times. Um, it's okay. There's nothing really to be that worried about. And I think it'll be a nice uh, place of assurance for your staff that they can feel safe and how you will treat the organization and how you will run it from a day to day. Um, every day will not feel wildly different to them. Um, you can be that safe place for them and you can let them know that the company will be that safe place for them. Um, and the other thing that I would say is um, servant leadership. Uh, it costs nothing to really listen to your people. It costs nothing to ask them the questions of how do they feel your organization should be run. Um, it costs nothing to take the time to listen to what they are truly passionate about. Our company is not necessarily a career or where everybody is going to be for life, but they are with us for a while. Um, and the time that they give us, the days, the minutes that they give us are gifts. Um, so the very gift that I can give them back is making sure that they feel truly heard in the organization. I don't need to just dictate to them all the time. The best thing I can do as a leader is to truly listen to what it is that they have to tell me. I have to really listen to my customers and all the things that they are telling me because they are the ones experiencing what we are putting out into the world. And if we're missing something, then that's our opportunity to do better. And that's our moment to improve. But I would say that the greatest lessons that we've learned out of, out of servant leadership is all of our people. And we always, of course, we always knew, but all of our staff are so highly capable, beautiful, masterful individuals and any responsibility that we instill on them, they can do with, with great success. Um, they just, you have to believe in them. You have to give them the freedom. You have to give them the room. And then you have to step back and not hover and let them fly and let them flourish um, our team is, is phenomenal. Nothing happens in our, in our world without our team. And so I think um, if companies are not already doing this, this is something they should, should seriously look into, um, not only from a psychological perspective, but from an operational perspective. Um, I hear a lot of companies or a lot of individuals say, my company doesn't hear me. They won't listen to me. They talk over me. I'm scared that I might lose my job. I'm scared that they might get rid of me. Um, I don't know how anyone can can thrive in that kind of an environment um, if they feel you know stepped on or put into a little box or, or muted. Um, so those are the two the two things that we feel are the cornerstone of what we do as a company. Say we have a very hippie vibe, we have a very laid back vibe at our place, um, very chill, um, and I, we work hard to cultivate individuals that fit very well um, within that model and can 
sustain that model. And as hard as it is to find staff right now, um, we do look very carefully for people who can work alongside that kind of laissez-faire, easygoing, take a deep breath, we're not going to be in a hurry kind of a mentality. Um, so hopefully we can sustain that into the future and protect more people and bring them in to be part of our organization and keep them safe and love them. Well, I think if any manager, owner, leader is listening to this podcast right now or watching it, um, re rewind that last couple of minutes that Chrissy just mentioned and keep <laughs> listening to it on a loop. Uh, I think that's kind of a masterclass on, on just taking care of your team, understanding who they are. Um, you, you mentioned the, the staffing challenges that people are having right now. Yeah. Part of it is yes, finding staff, but it's also keeping staff and yes. you have to listen to people. I, I'm really, yeah. right on board with that. So that's, uh, that's wonderful. So again, rewind that and keep listening to that. <laughs> um, so uh, Chrissy, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. We knew it would be, yeah. of course. Um, so if people want to learn more about you, if they wanted to get in touch with you, they want to learn more about Sawgrass, where would you send them? Yep. So they could go to our website, um, evergladestours.com or sawgrassrecreationpark.com. Um, they can also, um, of course, find us on um, Facebook, Instagram. We do have a couple of TikToks out there getting fresh in the TikTok world um, and a lot of other social media channels. So you can find us just about anywhere, YouTube, you name it. Excellent. Well, Chrissy, just like Matt said, this has just been a, a fantastic conversation. Really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today. And for everyone out there who is watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.